0: In the year 536 BC, God moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to allow the exiled Israelites to return to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the temple. The return of the Israelites was God fulfilling the prophet Jeremiah's words spoken many years before. Once in Jerusalem, the Israelites rebuilt the altar and laid the foundation of the temple. However, as God began to move, opposition began to arise. Because of this rising opposition and the improving living conditions the Israelites quickly became complacent. In 520 BC, God sent another prophet Haggai to his people. His words spoken over 2500 years ago still have meaning for us today. Good morning by good, good, good. everybody over the Easter hangover. right All right Yeah, so in church world, um, the Sunday after Easter, you kind of have the holy hangover thing going on. Um, but I was very excited about last week and very thankful for all that God did, but I'm just as excited about today because I know there's things that God wants to do here today in our hearts, in our lives, um, so that we can go out of here and impact the community, um, uh, continually, uh, bringing people closer to him. So, um, I'm excited about it. One reason is because we're kicking off a new series called the time has come. Uh, you will understand a little bit more about why, um, as we get into the message, but, um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Haggai. I know that you probably already were there. You probably always read that every morning. Um, but the book of Haggai, and I could be mean and just let you um, kind of fumble around and look for it. Uh, but it's actually on page 835 of your Bible. Um, if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn there. It's actually if you go to the book of Matthew first book of the New Testament, go left, right? Uh, no, not left, right. go left. And then uh, you'll see Malachi, Zechariah, then Haggai, okay? Um, little book, but huge and significant meaning. Um, I, I began studying this book a while back. And um, if you've never really read this book, if you've never studied it in its context and why it was written, I would encourage you go and do that because it is an amazing book. It's incredible. Um, I couldn't wait to get into some of these messages just because of the, the, the richness of this text, just of the things that are told, um, how applicable this book is when it was written over 2,500 years ago, right? Written in 520 B.C. And yet it still speaks to us. Today. It's absolutely incredible. And uh, it's so rich, in fact, that we're only going to actually read the first two verses this week. So I'm giving you a little time to find that. Also, while you're finding that book, um, I also want to celebrate something with you. John mentioned what an incredible Sunday it was last week. And and while it was awesome and and, and the the record attendance was great, the salvation's always, that never gets old. One of the things that I really wanted to um, just celebrate to thank you for is the, the nine o'clock service was nearly full. And it was absolutely incredible. We talked about imagining more people coming and we talked about needing uh, some space for, for new people to be able to come in and find a place to worship. And so many of you did that. And I think the thing that excited me about that is that I was able to see like your heart for reaching people who are far from Christ. And that to me uh, speaks volumes about you, about our church and just about what God's doing. And so I just wanted to celebrate that with you along with everything else that God did. And that may seem like a small thing to you, but to me, um, to see our heart as a, as a body, as a whole, I mean, some of you may be like, I just didn't want to be in a crowd. Okay. That's fine too. But, but as a whole, as us, making an adjustment, right uh, maybe even willing to become a, a little uncomfortable or out of our own schedule so that someone else could come to know Christ and hear the Gospel, so I just wanted to say thank you for that. Thank you for your hearts, uh, man. I'm praying today that God would continue to stir our hearts for Him, stir our hearts for the lost, stir our hearts to go and proclaim this message, stir our hearts that that this message, just like it did with Haggai, will become a part of us so that it begins to radiate from us. So this is what I want to do. I want to read the verses uh, one and two out of Haggai chapter one. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible today at our guest services table. You can go as you leave, and we would gladly love to give you a Bible. All right. So Haggai uh, chapter one, verses one and two says in the second year of King Darius on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We thank you, God, that you are faithful and that your word tells us that we're two more gather in your name. You are there. God, we come today to lift up the name of Jesus. We come today to gather in your name. God, I pray that you would shape us, form us, mold us. Holy Spirit, would you come and invade our lives, invade our hearts? God, just um, do a work in us, God, and allow us to cooperate with your spirit and what he wants to do here in this place today. God, we give you the honor, the glory, the praise for being good to us, for Jesus and the power is in him, Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, one of the probably the craziest things, and and some of you probably heard this story a little bit along the way, but one of the craziest things I think I've ever done, and and it kind of ties in with this, and you'll see in just a minute. But one of the craziest things I've ever done is um, not too long after Susan and I were married, we moved back to Statesboro uh, and and we bought a house, um, a small house. It was Three bedrooms, uh, one and a half baths, and uh, we eventually had our first son, Dake, who's now 11. And and after having Dake, we realized you know it'd be nice to have another bathroom, a full bath. It'd be nice to have a little bit more space, a closet space. And so um, we decided at some point we'd like to add on to our bedroom, add a full bath with a nice shower and tub, and walk-in shower, and and all this um walk-in um for some reason I'm stuck on the shower um walk-in closet and a little bit more space on the bedroom. And so we we're talking about it, thinking about it. Well, one day I decided it was time to do it. Right. And so I go out to the shed, I get a sledgehammer. Susan's not at home, of course, because if I can ever get into this project, it's too late. There's no turning back. And so I, I go out to the back of our house. And one of the weirdest feelings I've ever had, one of the craziest things I think I've ever done is I started knocking the brick off the back of our house. And I mean, I was like, I'd done a little homework. I figured we can pull this off. I think I can get this done. And so I just started knocking the brick off the back of a house. And you know, once the sledgehammer goes through the wall, you're pretty much into it. You know, I mean, you kind of, there's no turning back. There's no turning around. And so we were excited. I was excited because I knew like Susan wanted a big tub. She could lay in, you know, and take baths. And and I I wanted the space, you know, and and I thought it'd be awesome, you know, to get this thing done. so I was excited. I get in there, man. I get working. I get working, you know, every day. It was a little progress, a little progress. And then we get it about 90 percent finished. And it's still today about 90% finished. And I told you that my, my son Dake is 11 now. And so there's something about that last 10%. And some of you who maybe you've worked in the construction business, you know this, that like the last 10% of any job is typically the hardest part, right? Sometimes it seems like it takes you the, the same amount of time to do the last 10% as it does to do the whole thing. And I don't know about you guys and, and maybe some of you ladies, but this seems to be a guy trait more than a girl trait. How many of you guys, you love to start projects, but you just don't like to finish them? It's a lot of fun, right? Yeah. It's a lot of fun to start things. Sometimes it's not so much fun to finish them. And, and, and I'm that way. I love to get things going. There's excitement when you get it going, but then typically some things don't go right. And so you're kind of like, Oh man, this is a headache now, right? And so I'm um, a good starter. Need to work on finishing a little bit that last 10%. Well, you can kind of take that and apply it to where we find these people in the book of Haggai. It's so instead of them doing 90% and then lacking the finishing of the 10, they did about Ten percent and hadn't done the ninety, and and these this group of people, the Israelites, they had gone into exile into Babylon. The Babylonians had taken them captive. They've been disobedient to God. Um, it was prophesied that this was going to happen. All these prophets were saying, you know, you need to turn back to God. You need to turn back to God. They they never did. God sends them into captivity into Babylon, but he also prophesied hope through Jeremiah that after seventy years they would come back to Jerusalem. And so this is the point we're picking up. God's people, the Israelites, are beginning to come back to Jerusalem, this first wave of Israelites are coming back to rebuild the temple. And King Cyrus of Persia actually sends them back to do this. Um, God moved in his heart. You can go and read about this more in the book of Ezra. You gotta keep going left, right, to get to the book of Ezra from Haggai. But, but you begin to see where God's sending this wave of people back to begin to rebuild his temple. Um, and, and so they're going back and they begin to do this. They begin to take care of this. Um, but something happens. You see, here's, here's a reality that anytime a move of God begins, anytime you begin to do something for God, anytime God begins to do something in a place, opposition arises. And that's exactly what we see take place in here. And, and when the, the, the Israelites come back, they were very zealous. They were ready to get going. They built the altar um, where they would do their sacrifices. Um, they they built they laid the foundation for the temple and, and they were excited about getting it going. But then opposition arose from the people groups around them and they abandoned the project. They began to just, just almost use, really, really use it as an excuse not to do the work that God had called them to do. And so they began to to sort of uh, go and do their own thing. And this is where we pick up. See, God then sends the prophet Haggai. He then sends the prophet Zechariah to come in and sort of give him a kick in the butt, to be quite honest with you, and like get it going, right? And so this is where we're picking up in this as we read this text. And, and I want you to understand some things because it's, it's hugely important. And, 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 and it happens so much in our lives that we end up being very similar to these Israelites. When we started out on a good in a good work, God started out working in us. And then somewhere along the way, We tended to quit cooperating with the Spirit of God. Or something distracted us, or we ran up against some type of opposition, or we found some excuse for no longer pursuing God. And so, this is really where we find these Israelites here. In the second year, it says of King Darius on the first day of the sixth month. And see, we read through that and it's easy to miss it. Until I started studying it more in depth, I didn't realize this, but Haggai and Zechariah are two of the most precisely dated books in the Bible. And it's very important because what Haggai wants us to see is not only just the time, but he wants us to know what's going on during this time of year. It was a time. It was the fruit harvest. It was a time when there are a lot of festivals. It's a time when people, all the Israelites who had gone back to Jerusalem, they'd be coming to the temple and they'd be coming to see the temple. But remember the temple had been destroyed. They had been sent back to rebuild this temple. So they're bringing their fruit. They're bringing all this stuff, all these sacrifices to this temple. But every time they bring it to the temple, what do they see? Destruction, Right. It's rubble. It's just falling apart. It's been destroyed. And so they're bringing it. And it was simply a reminder of how they had disobeyed God. It was a reminder that they weren't doing what God had sent them to do. In fact, their, their, their willingness and their ability just to bring sacrifices when they knew that they were in disobedience, when they knew they hadn't been doing what God had called them to do really showed how shallow and hollow their worship of God really was because they were willing to go through the motions, but they really weren't willing to grab hold of and do the work of God. And I thought about that and I was like, how applicable is that to our lives? 2,500 years later, when, when so many times for us and listen, church becomes just about going through the motions. It becomes just about us showing up on Sunday. See, week after week, day after day, festival after festival. Hello, Christmas, Easter, right? Um, Once Sunday a month. We show up, they would show up, and they would go through the motions of the sacrifice. They would give that little bit of time or whatever it was that was required of them. But outside of that, there was no relationship to God. And so many times we find ourselves in this place. And this unfinished temple, it was, it was a blatant accuser. It was, it was one of these things that just pointed out the fact that their hearts really didn't belong to God. If you go and you read in the second verse of this, he says at the very end that these people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. The time has not yet come, right? How many times does that become our reasoning with God? Well, one day I will follow you, right? One day I'm going to get serious about my faith. One day I'm going to read with my kids. One day I'm going to pray with... We're good at making excuses. This has basically become their excuse. When opposition arose and they begin to have a difficult time, things begin to come against them. They they simply abandoned what God had called them to do. They abandoned their pursuit of God. They abandoned the very reason he had brought them back to Jerusalem. And they began to make excuses for why they shouldn't do what God wanted them to do. And so their excuse became the time has not yet come. It's why this series is called The Time Has Come. It's the exact opposite of what they're saying because this is what we believe as a church. The time has come for us to be... Yes, we're breaking ground June 1st. No, that's not the temple I'm talking about. The temple I'm talking about is the people, the people that God wants to bring in and add to his body, the living stones he wants to use to build his church, the body of Christ. That's the temple that it's time to build. It's time for us to shake off the apathy, the rust. It's time to knock the dust off of our Bibles. And it's time for us to take our faith seriously, allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and give us boldness and courage to go into this community and begin to change hearts and to change lives. That's what God's called us to do. That's what this church is going to be about. See, I don't want to be a church that we have to have an Easter to get excited. it. I don't want to be a church that we got to have Christmas or Easter to invite somebody to. I want us to be a church that we know that when we walk in the doors and we come together and we gather, if we bring somebody here, they're going to encounter the power of the Holy Spirit. If we bring somebody here, they're going to hear the good news of the gospel that even when we wander, even when we stray, even when we walk away from God, God never quits pursuing us. And see, even when these Israelites who've been disobedient for years got put into exile, God said, there will be a day that I will bring you back. My prayer would be that today would be that day for many people in this house today, that today would be the day that God would bring you back, that God would bring you back to his presence and a reality of who he is, that we could walk in the power of the resurrection every day of our life, not just on Easter or some special occasion, occasion, that our lives will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And see, they said this, our time's not yet come. This isn't the time, right? The time's not yet come to build the house of the Lord. And yet the reality of it is, guys, the time had come. God had already told them it was here. But see, here's the sad thing. And here's the sad thing that happened so many times in, in church and, and in our relationship with God. They had accepted this state of spiritual deadness as normal. They're like, nothing's really happening, but that's normal. It's why so many times people have to say, well, I don't know what that church is doing over there, but they're not doing something right because you, nobody has those salvations like that. Why? They did in act. And see, so many times our, our disobedience and, and our apathy towards God, even it makes us become disillusioned when we begin to read the Bible because we're like, why doesn't that happen anymore? The problem isn't that God doesn't want to do it. The problem is so many times we're unwilling to yield ourselves to it. That was like tweetable right there. I didn't even mean for it to be. <laughs> so many times it's not the fact that, that God doesn't want to do it. It's the fact that we won't yield ourselves to it. We won't allow him to do what he wants to do in our lives. We just won't surrender and say, yeah, God, the time is now. We know you want to build your temple now. We know you want to grow your church now, whatever it takes, God, here I am. Send me, use me, do in me what you need to do so that you can do through me all that you have in mind. That's what God would say to us this morning. And we begin to see how these people, they were just in this apathetic situation so much like. The church, the big C church today. I was telling the, the nine o'clock service, the one thing, if I could do anything, it would be to take the church, the big C, you know, all of us and me included, put me in there and just be able to shake it, right? Be able to wake it up and, and have our eyes opened to the possibilities of what God would do through his people when they're yielded and they're united by the power of the Holy Spirit. What God would do if we would truly say, God, we want you at the center of our lives. I thought about it. I was praying through this text, and, and this message will sort of be an outline for what you're going to hear throughout the rest of this series. But but there's there's three things I want to tell you today that I really felt like God put in my heart for today that, that you're gonna see throughout this book, but that I believe will wake us up from the apathy that we are in, typically as the church, and even in our own personal relationships with God. Three things that I believe are so important. And the first one is this, it's life-changing if we do it. Um, doesn't sound all that amazing, but it is absolutely life-changing. Number one is that we get into God's word. We get into God's word. And specifically and more accurately and a little more um, detailed, God's word has to get into us. Right? See, God's word empowered by the Holy Spirit is the only thing that breaks our apathy in our relationship with God. It's the only thing that really has the power to do that. And that's what happened with Haggai. See, the Bible says in here, it says that the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. But the thing I would tell you is that literally translates. um, If you look at the literal translation of that, what it actually means is that the word became a part of Haggai. It means that when God gave him that word, it literally consumed him. God is a consuming fire. His word is consuming. His word not only comes to us, but it gets in us and it begins to work itself out of us. See, it didn't matter that this message Haggai was going to preach was going to sting a little bit. It didn't matter that this, this message Haggai was going to preach was going to make these people a little uncomfortable because the reality of it was it became a part of who he is, who he was. And he had to tell it. He had to tell it. Man, if we could get the word of God, listen, not just to just to come into the word and to read the word, but if we could come to the word and interact with the word and let the word interact with us, begin to transform us and change us so that that message becomes a part of us so that we have to go out and tell other people about this great news that God has given us. And we begin to get into his word and his word begins to get into us, begins to change us begins to set our hearts on fire. We begin to encounter the word that the Bible says is living and active, that's sharper than a double-edged sword, that has the power to, to divide even our thoughts and our intentions and begin to change us and shape us and renew our mind and set our feet on a different course and begin to change our hearts and begin to cause us to go and be courageous and bold in the things that we do. See, here's, here's another, I told you that the dating of this is very important. And one of the things I want you to see in this, in this date, I mean, it it basically goes to August 29th, 520 BC. This is how specific Haggai is. And I want you to understand that God loves us so much that he gives us a specific word, right? It's very specific. His word is specific to our lives. It is specifically from God. It's specifically for us. It's specifically for now. And it's specifically to move us closer to God and the fulfillment of his purposes. And I'll tell you that one more time because that was good and I don't know if you got it. God's word is specific even down to the day of 2,500 years ago. It's specifically from God, it's specifically for us, it's specifically for now and it's specifically to move us closer to God and the fulfillment of his purposes. In other words, this word that was written way back then is still speaking to us today. Why? Because it's a living word that was specifically written not only for the leaders of Israel, not only for the people of Israel, but also for all of those who would come later. That God would be crying out to us from 2,500 years ago saying, wake up church, lift up your eyes and look to me and God's calling out to us specifically right now in this moment. And so many times we say the time's not yet come for me to get saved. There's still things I want to do. If not today, when the Bible says today's the day of salvation. So many times we say, listen, I'll get my marriage together at some point, but there's things I want to do. I would love for my marriage to be right, but you know, I kind of want to do what I want to do right now. Well, if not now, when, if you're not going to submit it now, when are you going to submit it? I'd love to read my Bible more. I'd love to spend time with God more. I'd love to pursue him. But you know, there's other things that take priority. I got to make a certain amount of money so that one day I can retire. But the Bible says we're not even guaranteed tomorrow. When we have this God who is specific down to the day, we have this God who's specific down to the number of hairs on our head, who is specifically for us, who specifically came to us, who specifically speaks to us now, why would we turn away from him? Why would we not accept him? See, I'm about to go um, after this service. I'm going to go grab some lunch. And and I'm telling you this one so you can be praying. All right. And then I'm going to drive to Atlanta and me and my oldest son are getting on an airplane. Y'all hear me talk about airplanes before? Hear the excitement in my voice. I'm going to get on an airplane and I'm going to fly to Warsaw, Poland. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And, and, and we're going to Amsterdam, and from Amsterdam, we're going to Warsaw, and we're going over with a group of folks, and we're going to play um, in a baseball tournament. It is a baseball mission trip. I was like, baseball? Jesus, I'm in. Right? And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I know it'll be a great experience, but the one thing that I don't want to have happen because I don't like to fly, the one thing I don't want to have happen is me get on that airplane and the pilot come on and go, um, first of all, could somebody come show us how to turn this on, right? And then we're not really sure where we are. We're not really sure where we're going, but sit back and enjoy the flight, right? No, I want a pilot who knows You know that one, where we are, two, where we're going, Three, I want him to be able to to, to, to to be able to be in his right mind then, right? I want him to, to be able to, to be specifically present. And I think about that so much with how God is and how his word is and how God's presence is in our life. Like, why would we trust our lives to just following our own way when we know our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things? Why would we not trust it to the one who can guide us and get us from point A to point B to get us to the place that he wants us to be? Who's given us a roadmap on how to live our life the best way? Why would we just trust it to something, anything, our own decisions, our own way? When we know if we've lived more than a few years that our own way usually gets us in trouble, that our own way leads us to destruction. Why would we not come back to this God who always offers his uh, word to us, offers his presence with us? The second thing I would tell you that we have to do, one is we need to get into the word. The word needs to get into us. The second thing is that we need to pursue his presence. See, so many times we come to the word and, and this is what we do. We read it, but we don't really pursue God through it. We don't really want God to speak to us. We just do it to check off our list. In fact, I hear a lot of people say this all the time. I want God to be my number one priority. Well, that is the problem in many of our lives is that God is a priority. See, God is not a priority. God is the center of everything. He is the one that everything emanates from. He is the one that when he is our strong tower, when he is our stronghold, when he is the one that we turn to, he is the one that not only created it all, but he is the one, as Colossians says, that holds it all together. And when we'll come to him and pursue his presence, we can begin to understand what that's like. But we don't come to him just to get through our daily task. We come to him so that we can hear his voice, so that we can spend time with him. It's easy. And, and, And see, even as a pastor, I get paid to read the Bible, right? But how easy is it for me to come to God's word and simply look for a message, look for something to tweet, look for something to blog about, right? If I don't take time to come and hear God speak to my heart, then man, I, I don't have my daily bread. I have to spend time listening to God. I have to come to God and try to shut down everything that goes on with the church and say, God, I need you to speak to me for me, right? Right? And we have to come and pursue his presence through his word. See, these Israelites, they had come from Babylon back to Jerusalem. But the point wasn't them just coming from Babylon to Jerusalem. The point was that God would become the center of their lives again. So many times we think that the point is me going to church when the reality of it is the church ought to go with us. Right. The presence of God ought to go with us. It doesn't like it's not like God evaporates when we walk out of this building. The point of it is not um, where they were living. The point was the God that was going to live among them. The point was not even that they would build the temple. The point was that God would be at the center of their life. See, they began to pursue their own comfort. They began to pursue their own advancement of their own kingdom with great passion, but they were dead and they were still in their pursuit of God. It wasn't about where, see, this is the thing. It was almost as if they thought it was about where their mailbox was, right? And it wasn't about where the mailbox were, It wasn't about where they were residing. It wasn't about their residence. It was about, is God present in and amongst them? This was the whole point of the temple. It was for them to be a reminder. And it was it was even for them to rebuild the temple in the presence of this opposition. It was them saying to God, we want you in the center of our lives. But by them neglecting it, it was them saying, God, you're optional. And I wonder how many times for us, God is optional. Maybe until something bad happens. But do we realize that really and truthfully, if God would drew his presence from us, we would simply ex- cease to exist. Do we really see God as an option or do we understand that God desires to know us? God desires to be in a relationship with us. Do our hearts desire the same for him? What's God calling us to? He's calling us to a relationship. See this whole thing, the point of them coming back from Babylon to Jerusalem was to renew this covenant, this agreement between God and between man. And so that his glory could be seen that yes, they wandered again, but yes, he brought us back again. How many, tell, I mean, how many of you, that's the story of your life, right? It's the story of my life. Why? My heart tends to want to wander, but what does God do? No, 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 no. You come on back. And here's the crazy thing about it. I see people and I talk to people all the time that they think they've somehow wandered too far for God to bring them back. I would ask you, how big is God? He's plenty big. His arm is not too short to save. His arm is not too short to bring you back. You cannot go so far that God cannot save you cannot go so far that God cannot bring you back. That is what this picture in the old Testament, all throughout the history of the old Testament and God's people is showing God's great grace and his great mercy in constantly bringing his people back. And that's what this was about for them. God bringing them back to himself. It wasn't about just building something with brick and mortar It was about them saying, yes, God, we want you in the center of our lives. We want you to be the center of operations. We want everything in our lives to radiate from you. We want you to be our God and our king. They no longer had a king. Why? They no longer had a kingdom. And it was about them saying, God, we want you to be our king. And Haggai goes straight to the point of the problem. He said, guys, it's your heart. It's your heart. We need to realize that if we're going to, pursue God. We need to pursue him through his word. We need to pursue him and allow his word to get into us and it begins to radiate from us. So we need to get in his word. His word needs to get into us. We need to pursue his presence. And the last thing I would tell you is this, that we need to walk in his will. We need to walk in his will. See, they weren't walking in the will of God. They weren't walking in what God had for them. They, they had come back, but they weren't doing what God had said. In fact, they, this was this had been over a decade since they had laid the foundation and built the altar. And Haggai and Zechariah come in, give them a kick to the rear and says, well, you got to get going. And they began to to build it again. But it's funny what he says in verses or in verse two. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Haggai says, these, or God says through Haggai, these people say, these people say, God didn't even call them my people. He didn't even say my, listen, listen, my people say, no, why? Because he's not, he's not disowning them, but he is distancing himself from them a little bit because how they respond to God's word will show whether or not they really want God to be a part of their life. And anytime the word is preached, anytime God's spirit moves through his word, which Isaiah 55 promises, he will. Our response to that word is evidence of our desire to know God and for God to be at the center of our lives. It made me think about this. Um, I don't know. Some of you probably have seen this happen. Uh, if you have children, you've probably done this yourself. But I began to think about this in terms of my own children and, and what God's saying by these people. And I thought about it. It's just kind of like whenever we're out somewhere and my children do something good, I'm like, that's my boy. Right. I got three boys. I'm like, that's my boy. Out of way, way to go. But when they're hanging from the ceiling fans at Longhorn, I'm like, Susan, you need to get your son. Right. That yawn blood that's coming out in them. You need to go get them. Because they're, they're, I don't know that kid, right? It's kind of what's happening here. And he's saying, listen, if you're mine, then you respond to my word. If you're mine, realize I'm bringing you back. If you're mine, invite me into the midst of your existence, into your life. Let me be the center focus. Let me be where life radiates from in you. Come to me. Let me, let me speak to you through my word. Meditate on it. Keep it. Don't let it out of your sight. Don't veer to the left or to the right. And so here's the thing I can tell you about following in God's will. (laughs) Following in God's will is never a guarantee it's going to be easy. So many times, in fact, the most difficult things I've ever done in my life have been when I knew I was walking right smack dab in the middle of God's will. So walking in the will of God does not mean that it's going to be easy. What it does mean, however, is that it's always best. And it may not always be easy, but it is always best. How? Well, it's good for us and it brings God glory. He uses it to shape us and he uses it to bring him glory as people see our obedience to him. And we you walking in that will. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it does mean that it's best. We need to come to this place where we finally say, yes. Yes. Whatever your will is. Whatever it is that you'd have for us to do because we're your people, God we're here to build your kingdom here on earth not a kingdom that's with brick and mortar but a kingdom that's built by the power of your Holy Spirit bringing people, listen, dead nasty, raunchy rebellious sinners to life and then putting them together around something greater than themselves the gospel and binding them together by the power of the Holy Spirit man, what an awesome thing that God does in our presence. And he says that this is what he desires to do in us. I told you, if I could do one thing, I think it would be to be able to shake, not just this church, but the world. And say, wake up, wake up. In fact, today I feel like it is Haggai from 2,500 years ago saying, wake up. Wake up and realize who he is. It's almost as if it's like the scales need to fall from our eyes so that we can see more clearly. I know they need to fall from mine. I want to see more clearly. I want to know him more deeply. See, being a follower of Jesus is not something else to do as much as it is. something. Someone to know, is someone to grow with, is someone to get close to. I want to know him more. Paul, after all of the writing and after all of the imprisonments, after all of the preaching the end of his life, he says, I just want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Is that the cry of our hearts to be in his presence? Listen, here's the thing that I know. I know that in here right now, every person in this room has some obstacle that's hindering you from pursuing God. There's some obstacle that's hindering us from receiving God's word. There's some obstacle that's hindering us from pursuing him with all that we have. There's some obstacle that's hindering us from walking in his will. But there's another thing that's very important in this text, and you're going to see this throughout the book of Haggai. He constantly refers to God as the Lord Almighty. That's also translated as the Lord of hosts. It's also translated as the Lord of armies. And so Haggai is saying this is not my word. This is coming from the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, who has charge of all the heavenlies who created everything and put it in place and who now holds it together. This is the God from whom this comes. This is the God that said he will move mountains. If you'll simply put a little bit of trust in him, this is the God who says, I can move any opposition that's in your way so that you can follow me. Even when it gets hard and you don't think you can take another step, you can take one more step because my grace will work effectively in you. This is the God who calls us just to take that next step. I'll be honest with you, there are days when I don't know if I can just take the next step. Yet I come back and I know that Philippians is true, that he who began a good work in me will see it to completion. I know that it's true that the best days are yet to come. Why? Because I'm in Christ. I know that it's true that greater is he in me than he who is in the world. I know that it's true that no weapon formed against me will prosper. But so many times we come to God and we come in here and we sing these songs that that the God of angel armies is with us. we lift up our hands and then the next, the first little thing comes against us and we just go, oh, I can't do it. We come in and say, you know, if God's for me, he'll be against me. We come in and sing that nothing's gonna hold me back. And yet the least little thing comes up against us and we're like, oh, I'm done. No, you have a God. If you're in Christ, he loves you so much. He was so specific that he sent his son to die for you, to take your sin upon himself, to be punished for you, to die in your place so that you could live. And he raised him back to, to life, defeating death, hell and the grave in one fatal swoop. This is the God who desires to rule and reign in your life. This is the God who time and time again brought rebellious people back to himself. Why? Because he loves you. Why does he love you? Because he loves you. I don't understand it either. But he does. And he's proved that through the cross. And he's proved that by overcoming death and hell and the grave, that there is no obstacle that is too great for him to move. So many times it's just us taking the next step. It's just us taking one more step. It's just us trusting that if I take a step, he's going to catch me. And I tell people this all the time. I tell people this all the time. They're like, I don't know how, how, how far I can go. I don't know. I don't know how much longer I can make it. You know what I tell them? Look, take one little step one little step because if you'll take one little step and then you'll take one more little step and you'll take one more little step when you start adding little steps together they cover a lot of ground and many people in here today where there's a relationship listen it might be i'm with your kids it might be with your job it might i don't know what you're facing i don't know your obstacle but this is what i know there is a very big god who specializes in moving mountains there's a very big god who can overcome the things in your life There's a very big God that if you'll take that next step, he'll catch you. Even if you stumble and fall, he will lift you up. He's proven it time and time again. The Lord of hosts, the Lord almighty, the Lord of armies. If he really is walking beside us, which he is if we are in Christ. Who are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? I'm almost even ready to go get on an airplane. I know this sovereign God is in control I know that while I'm in Poland that same sovereign God is big enough to be with my wife and other two children I know that while I'm over there he's here and he's over there too that's the God we pursue that's the God that pursued us so we'd never known him if he hadn't come to us and he sent his son that we can know him. Today I, I don't know what it is that's, that's holding you back. I don't know what it is that's your opposition, I know what mine is. I know that for me, apathy can be the same trap for me as it is for anybody. But this is what I do know. I know that I know that today we can bring it to him. And he's a God, he's bigger. He's a God who's able and he's a God who's promised. And he's a God that will walk with us through whatever it is we're going through. Didn't promise we wouldn't go through it, but he promised he'd get us through it. And today, this is my encouragement. This is my challenge. This is my plea. That you bring that to him and that you would trust this Lord of armies whatever it is that's hindering you. Do you throw it to the side? Lay it at his feet. Say, God, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I just know you'll take care of me. See, so what I want to ask you to do today is I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, I am going to ask you that you would come and you would kneel right here. I tell you this all the time, but Monday through Friday, this is the high school auditorium. Sunday, this becomes an altar. See, so as the church comes together, this becomes a holy place. My prayer is today that we would be able to bring that, our fears. For some of us, it's fear. For some of us, every day is bondage to fear. And you know what? That is a very real thing. The other thing i tell you is if you've got to give it to God a hundred times, a hundred times a day, you keep turning to him. Perfect love casts out fear. My prayer is today that you would begin to experience in a deeper way that perfect love of God that holds you that will take care of you even when things don't look the way you think they should I want to pray and then I'm going to invite you you come you hit your knees and you leave that here let's get up and go out of here pursuing God allowing his word to get into us allowing his spirit to guide us in his will So I'm going to pray when I say amen, I'm going to ask you to begin to move. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for life and grace and the power of your spirit. God, I thank you for people here who, God, um, need you. And, And God, I thank you that you'll meet them here today. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive your word. God, I pray that we would pursue you through your word. I pray that our lives would be a testimony to you and your goodness. Father, you are good. You are a good God. And I know that even when things don't seem good, God, that you're working everything to the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. And so I thank you for that.